Welcome to Financial Foresight. This podcast was made by four fee-only CFP professionals to help consumers understand the financial industry. Let's meet your hosts. They're either naive, they're stupid, or they're lazy. You know, the other thing is, is uh, my ceiling fan just went out in my kitchen today. He is the commander in chief on this video right now. And uh, man, I am feeling controlled and empowered and safe. Don't stop for Dwight's baby. We can edit that out. (laughs) All of the podcast hosts are owners of RIAs registered in their respective home states. All commentary on this podcast represent the opinions of individuals and not their firms. All commentary is financial education, not financial advice. So let's get started. Welcome to the Financial Foresight Podcast. Isaiah here, joined by the whole crew, Dwight, Colin, and Ian. Dwight, I want to kick it over to you to talk about some generational differences in an article that you found from the Wall Street Journal, talking about how the American dream has really shifted from generation to generation. Yeah, so I found I thought this article was quite timely. All four of us have just come back from a couple of different conferences um, where we were really focusing on this. Um, so the title of the article was called Your Parents' Financial Advice is Kind of Wrong. The personal financial p- finance playbook followed by past generations doesn't add up for many people the way it used to. It's time for some new money rules. And this was written by Julia Carpenter. Um, and like I mentioned, we just all came from a few conferences uh, really focusing on this next generation or the new generation rather than just uh, retirees and baby boomers. So with that, I'm going to pass it back to you guys and get your thoughts. Yeah, I thought this article was super timely because I just actually had this conversation around the family dinner table. Basically, between generations, my my parents and some of their friends were talking to myself and some of my friends about how, you know, they they think it's weird that we all chose to live in apartments and, like, they're having trouble grasping the differences in lifestyle and, and and such because it's a different income world, right? And, and the article does a really good job of painting this through this young woman's story where it's talking about how households or to buy a house is now such a greater percentage of household income and, and what you would need to save and how student loans are such a much larger burden on our generation and those sorts of things. So it's really interesting to think about it from that perspective and go, well, you know, it used to be pretty easy to buy a house. You could just use a 10% down payment. There was no such thing as PMI. Um, and, and it was such a lower percentage of your income that you needed to save year over year to accomplish this goal in five years. Whereas now, if you want to buy a house, which now costs more relative to your income, you also have to have a larger down payment of 20% or you have to pay this additional expense of mortgage insurance. Like planning needs to evolve to address these more difficult, you know, modern concerns. And and we need to change the way that we frame some of these things. Like buying a house is not the default it used to be for everybody anymore. I totally agree. And it's really interesting that kind of back in the day, you know, we didn't need quite as much education. So I almost feel like uh, college has become like our quote unquote starter home as far as like expenses to age is concerned. And I think it's even funnier too that we make the argument or at least our parents would looking down at us and saying, you know, the American dream is buying a home. Nobody batted an eye at people going 150,000 or 100 or 75, whatever thousands of dollars into debt to buy your first home. That was really smart. But going into debt to 
increase your human capital via education so that you could make more income and smarter decisions in the future. Now, that's just a millennial silly thing. Uh, I think that it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how this all pans out. I don't think uh, millennials are quite as dumb as maybe we're uh, uh, being told or, or, thought or you know, said to be. It's uh, just going to take us a little bit more time. And now that we're all living longer, we're kind of thinking about the long-term play. We're you know, getting married later statistically and taking time to have children. And I, I don't think it's uh, better or worse necessarily. It's just different in this world that is more uh, globalized. You know, we can, you know, back in, you know, 30, 40 years ago, it, you never heard of people just picking up and moving to Germany. And now it's like I have two friends, close friends that are living abroad on programs that are anywhere from three to five years. And they're single, they're happy as can be. And this is going to just boom them to the top and the corporate ladder so that they can take on really awesome positions and come back home and then think about buying the home and, and getting married and having a family. So it, it is different. Um, not going to say one is better or worse, but through the eyes of someone who did it differently, you're just dumb millennials. I think it's all about just what what does success look like to somebody, and I think now so many more people will look at it and evaluate what do they actually want out of it versus just taking um, what someone else has told them is the truth and moving forward. I think each each one of us, by starting our own firms and doing things might maybe our way, are you know shining examples of that. But technology has changed the way everything is as well. Like you can go learn a lot or or do different things via technology that you maybe didn't need or could do, you know, 20 years ago. And I'll push back a little bit, Colin, on the the education thing, because there are certain people that are going for a liberal arts major and they live in the Midwest, don't want to move, want to go move back home and rack up $100,000. It's like, well, what the hell are you going to do with that job? And so there are stupid millennials. They're just like, there's stupid baby boomers, just like there's stupid Gen Z. Like there's stupid people everywhere. But just because you're going to school, yeah, it has to justify it. You have to think about the return on the investment that you're making in yourself and how can you then take that learning and do something with it so yeah i think that's one of the rules that needs to change right is the the rule for the longest time was if you go get a bachelor's degree you can come out of it with a great well-paying job and to your point isaiah if you go get a liberal arts bachelor's degree it doesn't necessarily guarantee you gainful employment but that used to so i, I think it's just a different world where that, that rule on education is just not carte blanche anymore. It's not you get a degree, you get a good paying job. It's you need to get a degree in a skill set that is applicable to the job that you want, right? And, and so that's very different. And it's also hard to ask an 18-year-old to say, what do you want to do when you grow up, right? Yeah. Because they're not there yet. Yeah, Oprah's not coming out and say, you get a job, you get a job, you get a job, you get a job, and you graduate, (laughs) so it's a little different. Well, and I think, too, there's a lot of people that what they started doing when they are 18 or 22 out of school isn't what they're doing 10 years later. And, you know, I still see people, hey, I've worked this job at this company for 30 years, and it's just, I just, I'm not saying we don't see that. I just feel like that is not going to be the norm that our generation is going to see going forward. And I think... Um, I think Michael Kitts has had an article about, hey, financial planning software is really great if everything is in a linear fashion. Hey, you're going to get raises at, you know, following the cost of living, the CPI index, infinitum. And, you know, those types of things are really easy or they're made for the AUM, the asset under management or the insurance model. 
Um, and that just isn't quite the same anymore. Now people want to figure out like, hey, if I change this job or if I start my own business or if I buy this piece of rental real estate or if I take this two years off to do this thing or what if I want to go back and go to, you know, go to school, get my master's degree or, or whatever the situation is, change careers. Like, what does that look like? How does that work? Um, and, you know, certainly our generation, the millennials, there is certainly research out there showing that a lot of us are much better at asking for the advice and, and seeking that out rather than just a packaged um, product solution. So, Colin, I think you've got a good point there where good, bad or otherwise is really irrelevant. It's happening. And, and so, you know, there's a lot of us out here trying to service that need. Every generation's a social experiment. It'll be good. It'll be good. Yeah, I, I think it's hard to evaluate uh, a whole generation, like a whole subclass of people on whether their tendencies are good or bad. I also thought it was pretty interesting, by the way, because we have this conversation a lot. But in the article, it pointed out that, you know, just setting aside the extra $5 a week or whatever that you would have paid on lattes isn't the solution to the overall problem, which is the joke that a lot of people in our generation face a lot is your parents will be like, well, why don't you, you know, stop going out to eat? And it's like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Saving myself, you know, 20 bucks a week is a great idea, but $80 doesn't pay off the $130,000 of student loan debt that this person has. Right. right? And we might be talking about this a little bit later too, but you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday, uh, you know, who's moved out here from the Midwest, from Missouri. And it's not so much that Denver Boulder is the cost of living is crazy high in terms of buying food or groceries or gas. It's housing and rent. So it's like, great, I can save $30 a month, like by not buying Starbucks, but I just went from paying $500 a month in rent to 1700. Like, yeah, let's talk about magnitude. But at least at least the latte is free, though, because it's in the lobby. No, and that's yeah, true. Point. But her point the too apartment was, compact complex might offer you three dollars worth of coffee for free after you pay your eighteen hundred dollar a month rent check, right? Well, it's just, a hell of a trade. Well, her point too, though, was is like she can't go back to where she was at, which was uh, south, you know, f quite a few miles south of St. Louis. She's like, there's no jobs there. There's nothing, that, you know, like that isn't an option. So great, it's super cheap rent, but that you know, might as well be twenty thousand dollars a month in rent anyway, because there's no jobs. So. You know, it's a different it's a different animal. Just for a little context, I'm gonna wrap this up. So, Money Magazine ran an article, March 1983. Dwight, were you born yet? I was not okay. born yet. I can't remember how old you are, so I just had to ask. Anyways, it said uh, special report: the baby boomers can they ever live as well as their parents? Their prospects for jobs, housing, having children, retirement that could be written in 2019. Talking about millennials too, so it's just funny how that stereotype is gonna be passed down to. Yeah, we'll be talking about Gen Z soon, right? They'll start getting into the workforce and everybody will be like, those Gen Z kids are so lazy. Which is what they said about us 10 years ago. Um, anyway, let's uh, transition into Tweet of the Week. And our Tweet of the Week this week comes from Isaiah. So Isaiah, why don't you lay it on us? Yeah, so this comes from uh, Wealth Theory. So I do follow other accounts on Twitter other than Daniel Crosby. But it says, use your money to improve your lifestyle, not your status. Status is the life other people believe you live. Lifestyle is the life you actually live. Free time is the ultimate status symbol, and the choice is the grandest lifestyle. I just think that, to me, is the perfect definition of success, which is time. 
and optionality and being able to do what you want to do. Amen. Why buy the Ferrari when you could just spend more time doing what you love, right? Yeah, but think about the likes. (laughs) We could start a business where you can come take your selfies with the Ferrari. There we go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's the business. Manufactured experiences. I think that's great. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, I think someone mentioned Carlson's uh, article about wealth is the stuff you don't see. Um, that that's so true. I mean, we are such social animals. We want to just see what other people are doing. We always live in this, uh, relative lifestyle and we're always comparing and, um, being able to, to just have that kind of self realization of where I am, what makes me happy and, and who are my true friends and things like that. What, you know, what's, what's really important here, taking a step back. That's, he, I think that tweet's awesome. I was like, I got to sit through a ses- session with uh, Jason Howell uh, last week, and I think Isaiah, you were in that one as well. And he was talking about, um, you know, his brother-in-law or somebody in his family tweeted out a new car that he bought, and um, so Jason just kind of responded back and said, "Hey, this is really cool. Congratulations. I'm happy for you. You know, you're you're finding success. But maybe let's start 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 talking about how much we're saving and how much we're increasing our net worth and and things like that versus just all of the stuff that's what people see. So, you know, he's just one of those that's trying to change that conversation and it's it's hard like that instant gratification of hey i've got this new car or i've got this new clothing outfit or whatever is cool this new fly rod whatever it is you're you're into like it's hard uh to not want to do that we're just bombarded with that stuff every single day and money's still cheap we're gonna get negative interest rates pretty soon right so it's just gonna be it just exasperates the problem. Well, I think that conversation is not going to fully change until we as a society become more comfortable talking about the real stuff about money. You know, it's still a taboo to talk about how well your investment account did um, or what your strategy is or who the person you talk to about money is. Like all of these things are not things that we talk to or talk about with our family members, friends very often. And until that, that stuff changes looking at the new car is just one visual way to represent wealth right so as social creatures to your point we we have to see that because we're afraid to show well i have ten thousand dollars invested in my roth ira like nobody talks about that it's not sexy well and again the tweet talks about the lifestyle versus status status is you know what other people think lifestyle if you're a big fisher fisherman or fisherwoman i think that's right um, if the fly fishing rod is your thing, go for it. If the Ferrari is your thing, rarely you're going to be able to afford it, but hey, maybe something happened and you have the money. If that is helping you from a lifestyle perspective, go for it. Like if it truly is something you want, not something that you think you need to have. And I think that's really hard, especially in the, the day of Instagram and seeing the best, you know, five or 10% of someone's life. And I, I mean, I'm as guilty as anyone. I don't post pictures all the time. Went to the Florida UK football game. This past Saturday, and you know they won, and it was a great experience. It was fun, so yeah, hell yeah, that's going up on Instagram. But you know, the Saturdays on the couch hanging out with my son and my wife, and you know that doesn't go up there, but that's real life. So I think that's part of the challenge too is seeing everyone else do all this stuff when you only see bits and pieces of the good stuff. Highlight culture, right? Yeah, it's all not that hanging out with my wife and son is not highlight. So I should just put that. Well, it is, but it's not exciting for everybody else. You're like, hey, I had this wonderful low-key moment with my wife and son. Everybody else is like, great, we have all those. But where's the Ferrari? (laughs) Yeah. So, 
No, I, I think that's a good point. Um, do we want to transition on to our last topic? Anybody have any other comments? Okay, cool. So the last topic, which I think ties in with the first one pretty well, is um, there were a couple articles that Kitsis shared in his weekend reading for financial planners uh, newsletter. And I read that newsletter a lot, so I, I'm not ashamed to admit that that's probably the first thing I read Monday morning from the financial industry. I'm a little bit of a fanboy. And what I think is pretty interesting is the last three articles were all talking about this greater trend of high cost of living areas having to struggle to compete for the same workers that they were guaranteed over the last 10 years. So we're talking about LA, New York City, you know, Seattle, like all these places with really high um, cost of living, usually high tax rates because they offer a lot of services within the city and, and those sorts of things and how their populations are actually either stagnant or dropping because mid-level cities are, try, are basically getting these people because they are they, like a perfect example is Raleigh, where I live. There's a lot of growth in our population because we have decent paying jobs, but more so than that, we have a decent cost of living. It's like mid. It's not, you know, rural cheap, but it's not big city expensive either. And what that enables people to do is either telecommute to a big city for work, right? You can either Skype in or be on Slack and still do your job effectively. Or you can find a higher paying job in the Raleigh area. And because it pays well, it's such a high percentage of your um, or it's such a good pay relative to your cost of living. Excuse me. So I think it's a pretty interesting conversation to talk about how we might be moving away from a super urban society to like a semi urban one. Um, any thoughts on that, guys? I just go back to Dwight's example of the um, friend that moved from, you know, rural Missouri to Denver, Colorado, again, not knowing what industry she works in, but there are a lot of other places that are much cheaper than Denver. And I would just think, you know, longer term that people are going to find their self moving and companies are too, to places that are cheaper, that have the infrastructure that can grow and build out. So why, why move to the masses? And again, I know it's like, it's a popular, like Nashville, Denver, Portland, like all those are really, really popular cities. I would much rather live somewhere like Indianapolis, for example, shocker, uh, and save up and have more money to go visit those places and take those trips versus, hey, I live here and I'm broke. That's just my opinion. I, 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 just, I just see the location arbitrage as being the biggest thing that's going to happen in the next you know, 20 years. Like People are continuing to find out and be smarter. Same way as living in northwest Indiana and not living in Chicago. Save a bunch on taxes and go can still commute Chicago. and go work in Chicago. Yep, and technology as it continues to uh, get better, internet gets faster, companies uh, maybe become a little more progressive and understanding that you don't need to have your butt in front of the desk, you know, from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. every single day, uh, you know, breathing office air that and you can still be successful and get stuff done um, as that movement continues to happen. I could see this taking off even more and hopefully uh, kind of uh, in some cases reducing uh, almost relative inflation and keeping the cost for these cities in different places a little bit lower just by keeping the demand down a little bit. Um, I think it'd be awesome if we could, uh, if people who want to own property and kind of live a little bit uh, uh, out in the boonies for lack of better words and be able to have a high tech job that normally would be require you to be downtown 
that's that's so cool. Um, big fan of it, and it's fun to see that happening. And really, I think we're all kind of experiencing a little bit of that too with even our clients. Um, I don't. I even have clients that are you know 30 minutes away from my office, and they could easily drive in. But they're like, we don't really feel like trying to battle parking and trying to get a babysitter and all this stuff. Can we just please meet online? And honestly, it's it's almost better. And we don't feel like we have to have like this huge, extensive meeting because we can have two, you know, 30 minute meetings and just kind of catch up instead of having one really massive meeting that maybe we all get a, a little bit exhausted from. And it's not such a big deal because it doesn't need to be such a big event to, to go out and meet. So between, uh, you know, business to business or just whether you're an employee or an employer or trying to do services for other people, um, I could see the online space and therefore the geographical arbitrage really taken off. Yeah, I'm, I'll go the other way. I mean, I agree uh, on a lot of it. I do think, though, there is some reason why some of these places are still what they are. San Francisco, for example, like there is some of that serendipity that does happen. Um, you know, before this call, we were all talking about these conferences that we went to wasn't just because we were trying to learn a bunch of new stuff. Not that we know everything at all, but it's to reconnect with all of us. Um, but I, I think, you know, you're right, Colin, like we can have some of these conversations more, more often or more proactively, um, you know, video conferencing, things like that, where we don't have to spend all this time in a, in a conference room. But, you know, again, I do think some of those cities are not going to go away. It's not as if like San Francisco and LA is suddenly just going to not, or New York are just suddenly going to not be there. Um, but again, living in the Boulder area, you know, a little bit competitive on that. We're on those top of those lists pretty cons- consistently, but so is Indy, so is Raleigh, so is so is Grand Rapids, quite frankly. Like you guys, you know, it's, it's killing it. Like, and we're all millennials. We're all living in these places. Like, there is a lot to be said because the lifestyle, the cost of living, all of these things, it's not just one particular thing that's one or the other. But, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, I've met plenty of people from California out here that are just like, you know, um, I can buy a house for a third of the cost. And so it's like I can write a check for a $700,000 house and never have a mortgage again in my and my lifestyle's better. And somebody in Missouri might be like that's insane. I would never spend $700,000 on a house. Well, people like, the oh. joke about the <laughs> joke about Raleigh which always resonates with me related to the articles that nobody's actually from Raleigh. A bunch of people right. moved down from the north and colonized it and all the people who are from North Carolina are from the rural areas. So gotcha. that's kind yep. of the joke. But um but I also think that it's an interesting conversation because we're moving towards a pace of change where we're going to have like satellite internet and 5g in a number of years and so Mm -hmm. you could literally live in the middle of nowhere in the mountains in some little town and be doing virtual meetings with your large-scale employer or in our case with your clients or whatever and you would never need to leave that house to do your work now that being said you got to leave the house to not go insane but you know, right. <laughs> but it, but living where you want is going to become something yes. that's a lot more pertinent these days than living somewhere because of job opportunities presented to you, I think. So I think it's an interesting conversation, but thanks for your thoughts, guys. Uh, I guess we should wrap up here. We're hitting about the 23 minute mark, so not bad. Um, anybody have any closing thoughts? I think financial planning and just thinking about structuring a life that is meaningful to you is is important from an early age and again that doesn't necessarily mean you engage with a financial advisor i think there are a ton of advisors out there that 
are working and want to work with people in those stages and talking about first jobs, negotiating raises, leaving their corporate entity and, and starting something new. Like there's a lot of really great talented people that, you know, we were able to meet at the conference and talk to that are doing incredible things all over the country. So don't just rely and wholeheartedly on, you know, your parents' advisor a lot of times. Now, they may be awesome. I'm not saying that, but I've seen a lot of poor advisory relationships that get passed along and, and people kind of realize that over time that this person doesn't really make sense in having conversations with me. I think my closing thought is really just, you know, we were talking about this before the call as well, is every time I keep hearing or thinking my, to myself, this can't be done this way, I meet somebody that's doing it. And I think that's pretty uh, telling of our generation. Oh, you can't uh, find financial advisors that help you with student loans or these things. Well, yeah, they're out there. You can't go live in Aspen, Colorado and work there. Uh, you have to be chained to a desk. Well, there's people that are doing it. So um, I just think that's one of the coolest things about uh, what's happening right now is people are pushing that boundary of saying, I can't, well, I see other people doing it. So why I'll can't just I? say, uh, take conventional wisdom with a grain of salt. Um, you don't have to buy a home to live the American dream, or you don't have to do this and do that. Um, just, just, uh, take a step back and understand w and try to take the time to figure out what actually makes you happy, what you feel is important and, uh, and do make the planning around you. Uh, Instagram, you know, is never going to uh, tell you that. So uh, you, you really got to just do it, find it yourself. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Uh, for everybody who listened, thanks so much for listening and have a wonderful day. Thanks so much for listening. We hope we were able to make you laugh and allow you to learn something. For all inquiries and questions, please email financialforesight at gmail.com. If you're on Twitter, feel free to give us a follow and ask a question there as well. Remember the podcast is for general information and entertainment purposes only, and you should not consider what we've talked about investment or tax advice. Please consult your professional team before implementing anything we talked about. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and maybe leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you and thank you so much for listening. We'll be talking again soon.